Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Buy Optimizers and use code INTEGRATIVETHOUGHTS10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. Today's episode is the second installment of my three-part series, which is all about mold. And today we have on the show Jason Earl. He is the CEO and founder of Got Mold. Now, anybody who's been following me for a while, whether on social media or on this platform, knows that my wife and I dealt with a mold issue. I was seeing lots of different doctors. I was really unsure of what was going on. I was having neurological functions. And I was renting the place at the time. So what we did is we just threw away everything we owned and we started from scratch. But had I have had something like this device for just a few hundred bucks that I could have got a better reading of what was going on and I thought it was actually accurate, that would have saved us a lot of guesswork within that situation. And I know when you're renting a place, the last thing you want to do is spend a thousand, two thousand bucks, whatever it may cost for an inspector to come out and check out your place. 
And so if you, I could have ordered something like this right online. They have a lot of guides on their website that show you the most problematic areas and where to put the test. I mean, they have a really extensive information base within their website at Got Mold. I'll link that in the show notes. And this really empowers the renter, more importantly. When you own your place, you're willing to spend that money and invest and fix up the place that you have a mortgage on. But as a renter, I think this is where it's really, really critical and crucial is for you to be able to get a little bit of information for a few hundred bucks. So Jason's just a wealth of knowledge. He's super passionate. I love his energy. I've met him in person. He's a really stand-up guy. I'm going to have him back on the show at least a few more times because he is just such an amazing character and he really walks the walk when it comes to mold. So enjoy the show. Jason, welcome to the show. How's it going? Excellent, Matt. Great to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. It was actually so super funny. We were just talking, uh, had you already booked because I had heard you on Freddie, our mutual friends podcast. And I went through some mold issues myself, as did he and you. You'll tell your story as well. But uh, then we got to meet at the conference. So it was really cool that we chatted at your booth for a while and at the networking party and everything. So now it's a little bit more intimate and we kind of know each other. So I always like when that happens. And me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was perfect. Be cool. Um, so you're just a wealth of knowledge on mold, and I'm definitely going to dig into a lot of that. But why don't you tell us about um, your upbringing, your kind of mold story, and how you got into this space? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, thanks again for for having me, and um, I, I'm really I was looking forward to this. I've heard a lot of great things about you, and 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 have had a chance to dig into some of your your other podcasts, and really enjoy the the content you're putting out. So keep up oh, the good work. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. So um, my story uh, begins uh, when I was about four years old. Um, I grew up in a small, uh, a small non-working farm, kind of a hobby farm. We 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 had a bunch of rescued animals, horses and goats and stuff like that, um, in uh, central New Jersey, r- right next to Princeton. And um, I had lost a lot of weight in a three-week period. Uh, was having difficulty breathing, and so my parents took me to children's. Ho- uh, took me to um, uh, the pediatrician who said uh, this looks serious. You should really take him to Children's Hospital, um, which was in Philadelphia, renowned respiratory clinic. And uh, based upon the symptoms that I was presenting with and my family history, the initial diagnosis was cystic fibrosis, um, which back then was a, a death sentence, and was particularly troubling to my father, who had lost four of his cousins to CF before the age of fourteen. So this was literally their worst nightmare. Um, coming true. And so um, they say they they cried for six weeks while they waited for a second opinion. Um, and thankfully, uh, and evidenced by the fact that I sit here at 47 years old, uh, I did not have CF and don't have CF. Um, but rather, what I actually had was asthma compounded by pneumonia, uh, which was my first big round of antibiotics, which we can dig into also. Um, and uh, when they tested me for allergies, uh, I, I, I tested positive for every single thing they tested me for. Um, and the way they, this is one of my formative memories too, the, the way they test tested back then, I don't know, I'm not sure how they do it now. Um, but they put you in kind of a papoose or like a, a straight jacket for toddlers. Um, and so with my back exposed and they have a grid on your back and then they test you for, for with all these antigens. And my dad said, I look like a ladybug, just big red swollen back with dots all over it. You Sounds know? archaic. Sounds <laughs> yeah. medieval. <laughs> yeah. Allergies, allergy testing and allergy uh, treatments can be pretty archaic. Um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're working with some old technologies in many cases. And back mm-hmm. then, you know, this is the, uh, you know, early eighties, uh, late seventies. So, uh, needless to say, they were, they were working with even older technologies back then. But, um, so they, they, they essentially told me that, told, told my parents that they had a bubble boy. Um, and 
they I was allergic to grass, wheat, corn, eggs, dogs, cats, cotton, soybeans. So I was literally surrounded by all those things. We had cornfields across the street, soybean fields to the left. We had a house full of dogs and cats. Um, and of course, I wore cotton clothes. And I was literally surrounded by all of these allergens. So I, I lived a very itchy existence um, and lived on inhalers until I was about 12. At which point my parents split up and I moved out of the house and uh, my symptoms all went away. It wasn't immediate, but it was fast enough that now in retrospect, I can see the the the, the correlation. And uh, it was just chalked up to what um, they call spontaneous adolescent remission, uh, which is a fancy word for we don't know what the hell happened. Um, <laughs> and my grandfather had grown out of his asthma too. So that was just, you know, they, they, they thought that was you know kind of to be expected. And... Um, Fast forward, um, about a year and a half later, my mom died suddenly, um, actually suicide, which is relevant to the conversation. So we can, we'll, we'll circle back to that too. Mm. And, um, and then a, a year after that, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease, uh, which was my second big round of antibiotics. And, um, again, that's, that's relevant to, to, to the story too. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I ended up having to drop out of high school. I was basically forced to, to, uh, to leave because they wanted me. I missed a lot of school due to the Lyme disease and my mother's death, and so uh, they they uh, they wanted me to, to repeat my junior year while I was in the middle of it. So they wanted me to come back, and I said nope. So I I dropped out and started working full time at the gas station down the street, and uh, met a guy who recruited me to come work on Wall Street with him. So um, it was a fairy tale story. Um, totally, I was the la that was the least likely to end up uh, on Wall Street at 16 years old. Um, and uh, I unknowingly became the youngest licensed stockbroker in history at 17. I have a Guinness World Record for that. Um, and that and $1.50 will buy a half a slice of pizza in New York City. But, you know, that was <laughs> it's a small piece of the story. But so I did that for nine years, um, had a great career. And one day I woke up and I, I wasn't having fun anymore. I wanted to do something meaningful with my life. So I went on walkabout. And uh, while I was away, I was reading stories in the local newspaper while I was in Hawaii about a guy who had gotten um, – who'd gotten sick from the hotel where he was an employee. Um, he had developed adult onset asthma uh, and all of these allergies that he had never had before. And so uh, it was like a deja vu moment. He blamed the hotel, uh, the mold in the hotel. And by the way, uh, side note, this this hotel where he was an employee, <laughs> turns out it was the biggest mold problem in modern history. At the time, I was there in Hawaii in the shadow of the building that he was talking about, reading the article about that building, <laughs> it was the Hilton Kalia Tower, <laughs> and it had been shut down for mold at that point for like six months. And it, initially, they thought it was about a half million dollar problem. And uh, as they began opening the walls, as is typical with with hidden mold issues, it was like Pandora's box. And the, it went from half a million to five million to fifty five million dollars in total remediation costs. Um, so wow. that's hence the reason that there was there were articles all over all over Hawaii and all the local newspapers about this. So anyway, it was it was like a it was like a light bulb moment for me. I immediately thought, "Geez, I wonder if we had a mold problem at Old Trent Road, the house I grew up in." So I called my dad from a payphone, which I'm pretty sure isn't there anymore. Um, you know, all the payphones are gone, and said, "And so, do you think we had a mold problem?" And he just laughed at me. He's like, "Of course, we had mushrooms in the basement. Why do you ask?" And uh, <laughs> it, you have to, to to know my dad is to love him. So I said, "Do you think that made me sick? You think that was part of the reason why I was you know so ill?" And he goes, "Well, it couldn't have helped." So in typical 1970s parent, you know, so, uh, so I, in that, in that moment, I immediately became fascinated with the idea that buildings, the buildings that we live and work in 
can actually make you sick. Um, I, you know, mold is fascinating, and I love I, I love the conversation because it's more and more fascinating um, the, the more I know about it. But but what really gets me, and the, I think the thing that that I like to raise awareness around uh, isn't just mold per se, but really um, healthy buildings and 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 the fact that you know buildings can both contribute to illness and also healing, right? So there's no neutral. This is what I've learned: buildings either make you sick or they contribute tribute to healing. Um, there is no neutral. And so um, I came back to New Jersey armed with a, a lot of curiosity and uh, took a job working for a basement waterproofing company uh, as a salesman and uh, quickly saw, and they were doing mold treatments. And no, notice I say mold treatments, not mold remediation. Um, there is a big difference. So uh, they were doing mold treatments, which essentially means spraying chemicals and you know doing all sorts of um, non-standard practices. And at the time, there were no regulations, there were no best practices, there was no written standard, there was some guidance from the EPA, um, but but really there was there were, there was uh, it was kind of like the wild wild west. But I quickly saw that these guys were doing bad work, and and I think often leaving the buildings worse than the way they found them. Um, and so this bothered me deeply. And uh, so I, I saw an opportunity to work on the inspection side of the business, because as with all environmental hazards, as the, as the industries mature, and I'd seen this because on Wall Street, I was invested in environmentally, in environmental remediation companies. And I saw that, you know, whether it be uh, lead paint or asbestos, uh, or even underground storage tanks, there, there's a, there's a, a divide between as the regulations kick in, they, there's a divide between, or a Chinese wall, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, between the remediation contractors and the inspectors, as there should be, because there's room for for conflicts of interest, especially when there's testing involved. Um, if you're if you're if you getting paid is contingent upon you passing a test, there's a lot of room for abuse, and so um, so you have to kind of choose which side you're going to be on. And I saw on the remediation side, I saw lots of labor issues, you know, heavy heavy capital requirements, you know, vans and equipment, and all that stuff. And on the inspection side, I saw a, a, a relative lack of 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 um, of participants, um, but also and so therefore lack of competition. Um, but I also saw some really interesting opportunities on the detection side of things. Um, you know, there were, there were new technologies that were emerging and, uh, and I really wanted to, to, to get in and really understand how all this worked and, um, and, and, um, really understand and not just how the buildings work, but how the people interact with their buildings and, you know, the biology of the building and the biology of the human and, and, and the biology of, of course, the, of the, of the, uh, the microbiome that's affecting both the building and the bodies. And so, um, so I just took this, this really deep dive. I mean, I, I had building science manuals in my bathroom. Uh, you know, like I was reading these books constantly. Um, I was dating a girl. She's like, why do you have the moisture control handbook, um, in the bathroom? <laughs> like, well, you know, I mean, it's bathroom reading for me, you know? Um, but so I, I really, I really enjoyed, uh, the, 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 you know, learning all of these aspects and, um, so anyway, I, I, I started doing inspections for free uh, late at night to help people prepare for remediation contractors, sort of to protect them from from the contractors. And over time, people started saying, you know, I should really pay you for this. And so, uh, you know, I, I said, well, how much would you pay me? And so I basically let them set the price. And so um, around that time, I heard about a guy who had trained um, dogs, uh, Labrador retrievers specifically, um, to sniff out the hidden mold in buildings. Uh, and, uh, and I thought that was just brilliant enough to, or crazy enough to be brilliant. And, um, 
I ended up going down to Florida and meeting Bill Whitstein of the Florida Canaan Academy. And uh, he introduced me to Oreo, a, a, a lanky uh, black lab mix who'd spent two times on doggy death row, uh, who had been put through a thousand hours of training to be a mold detective. And uh, I did not expect to come back home with her, but I did. Um, and so uh, we flew back and uh, I ended up with uh, one of the first mold detecting dogs in the country. And um, within a couple of weeks, we ended up with Channel 6 Action News descending upon us. I thought they were coming to feature us. They were trying to debunk us, it turns out. Uh, and uh, so they hid some mold in the house. And uh, and instead of debunking us, they endorsed us because we found it in like three minutes. Um, so next thing you know, we've got doctors calling. We've got people calling. I hadn't even set up a, a company yet. Um, so I got really busy really fast. And so, some of the some of the people that we helped that were referrals from some of the doctors um, one particular case was Jill and Caitlin Murray, four-year-old little girl who'd been chronically ill. She'd been hospitalized dozens of times due to uh, something, and no one could tell what. Um, and we went into to uh, to her new house, uh, which they had built specifically to prevent mold issues, um, and found some issues and and got them corrected. And that that turned into a Good Morning America episode. Uh, and then we got invited to do Extreme Makeover Home Edition a couple of times, and so it just kept going and going and going. Um, and so, uh, so our phone rang, rang off the hook and that company eventually became 1-800-GOT-MOLD, um, the mold inspection company. And so I did that for roughly 20 years, um, literally just doing consumer oriented, you know, residential mold assessments and, and remediation consulting. Um, and it was, and it was a great business it, 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 and, a, and a, and a very, a very meaningful and important business, the most satisfying thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um, but over the years, it always bothered me that the people who needed this the most couldn't afford us, you know. So, in fact, my own parents could not have afforded a professional mold inspection through through my company uh, or for, from any reputable company for that matter. I mean, a quali quality mold inspection performed by an independent inspector should cost you $1,000 or more. Um, and so, so that was out of reach for my parents and, and it's out of reach for most people that are renting. Um, and so, you know – Basically, healthy. My, my philosophy is the healthy air should never be cost prohibitive, right? And so, uh, so uh, that concern put some wheels in motion a number of years ago to create a do-it-yourself product, a do, a, a, an at-home test kit that would allow people to do the same kind of testing that we do professionally, but without uh, all the concerns with trying to find and hire a qualified inspector, and then of course all the costs associated with that. So, um, so last year uh, in March we launched the Got Mold Test Kit, uh, which allows you to test the air in up to three rooms uh, using spore traps, which again are the most common uh, professional test test method available. And uh, and it's been it's been uh, it's been fabulous. I mean we're, we've been we've been uh, receiving just absolutely amazing reviews, and most importantly we're we're, we're seeing that we're actually really getting to the people that we were tar that we were trying to serve you know uh the people who are who were previously unable to to afford a professional or also that were living in areas where there just wasn't a, wasn't one within a reasonable proximity um and so so it's been it's been fun to see mm -hmm. that that all come together and we've since we've since since sunsetted the inspection business to focus uh exclusively on the uh on the test kit business Awesome. That was beautiful. I have so many different avenues I want to um, go down with that. And I want to circle back to the antibiotics in the Lyme. Do you think that <clears throat> commonly people may be misdiagnosed with Lyme who are just living in mold and, and the antibiotics can actually make that worse? What do you think about that? 
Well, so I, I mean, the, when I was diagnosed with Lyme, the testing was very sketchy. It's still kind of sketchy. Um, I think what happens with Lyme and mold um, is complicated. I think there's, uh, first of all, there's some some strong research that shows that um, biotoxin related illness, and so this means, um, you know, this could be mold mold related toxins or Lyme related toxins. Um, these are processed um, and detoxified in the body through certain pathways. And people who have a problem with that particular pathway, known as a methylation pathway, um, and there's a genetic um, a genetic mutation called the MTHFR mutation that um, is uh, is correlated to this. And apparently, some some research researchers say that it affects up to 25% of the American population. So it's a big swath. And so um, so people who are kind of jammed up with biotoxins from one, then they experience the other and it, it, they experience overwhelm. The body, it's a, you, either you, it, your allostatic load or your toxin load, um, it, it goes beyond your capacity. And then you end up with all sorts of issues, inflammatory conditions and, and toxic, um, to, toxin-induced conditions. And so, so I think it's more of a pile-on that happens. Uh, that exacerbates the uh, sensitivities, and so the other thing that that comes to mind that that I think has a lot to do with um, these toxins um, is the fact that with Lyme, especially back then, I had to take thirty pills a day of biaxin, which is a very potent antibiotic. Uh, now it's primarily doxycycline, but um, I was on a pulse therapy, so it was three days on and three days off, and so I'd be sick for three days and sleeping for three days is part of the reason why I missed why I miss so much school um, but what I what I in retrospect when I look back at this you know when you think about antibiotics antibiotics are as most people know uh, at least some of them like penicillin are derived from fungi right so penicillium um, common mold also makes uh, certain kinds of cheese, and uh, you know, so it's it's a it's a you know, there's lots and lots of different kinds of penicillium, but this one particular kind, uh, penicillium nostratum, makes uh, penicillin, and penicillin is a mycotoxin. So when people say antibiotics, uh, what they're also saying in many cases is mycotoxin, right? And so if you're if you're ex experiencing illness uh, like Lyme disease, and then you're taking mycotoxin pills. Um, and your body's already overloaded with biotoxins, can you see how that might not end well, right? So so th these are mycotoxin yeah. pills, right? Um, but what's interesting to me about this, and this is kind of a side note, but it's also really important because this is emerging, is that um, when, I, when I did a deep dive into antibiotics, I found out that, well, only a small percentage of them are actually derived from fungi. Um, about two-thirds of them are actually derived from uh, bacteria, soil bacteria specifically, called actinomycetes. These actinomycetes also happen to occur in water-damaged buildings right alongside water damaged molds. So, and, but we don't test for these in most cases, although that's changing. Um, and so we're actually developing a test that looks, looks at all of these things in totality. Um, but we know from the fact that these actinomycetes produce uh, very potent chemical toxins, which we harness for antibiotics. But if they're also producing these kinds of toxins in our building, but they're not being measured or tested for, uh, I can only imagine that when we start to really learn more about what that does to the toxic toxic load in the building, that it's going to be an important component. 
Um, and so, so really when I start looking at the way treatment for Lyme occurs, I think that sets the stage often for mold sensitivities, not just because of the biotoxins from the Lyme, but also the treatment for the Lyme. Um, I think that, you know, antibiotics are essentially weapons of mass destruction. And unfortunately, there is no <laughs> treatment that I'm aware of that actually can do any, I mean, even the people, even the, the, the most holistic naturopaths will, will, will tell you that, um, that doxycycline is, is, is a necessary treatment in most cases. There are plenty of people that will argue with that, but the data doesn't, doesn't support, um, doesn't support, uh, natural treatments in most cases, uh, for the recovery maybe, but not for the, for the initial, um, treatment of the infection. So in any case, I'm not an Lyme disease expert. Um, uh, but, but, uh, but but seen enough of it because of course there's a, it, Lyme disease and mold is kind of like a Venn diagram. There's a big overlap with these, and so so I've been treating these people by by by, by virtue of treating their homes uh, and helping to create an environment that's conducive to healing for two decades. Um, and so you see what works and doesn't work. I mean that's one of the best parts about being in my my side of the business is that I have no horse in the race when it comes to remediation or, or anything else. I'm not selling anything else. I'm, I'm here to, to, to guide people through a process of removing things from their, from their buildings that are causing them illness or that could potentially lead to, to illness. And then being, and then st I stay in touch with many of these people. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I'm still in touch with the woman, that girl, that little four-year-old little girl that got us on Good Morning America. Mm -hmm. She's now in med school becoming a doctor in environmental medicine because she wants to help families avoid going through what she went through. And we're still in touch, you know, she's in her, in her, um, in her mid twenties now, you know? Um, and so you can see what happens over time, uh, with these people. And what I've consistently seen is that when you get the environment right in a building, um, then the body can find equilibrium and it will begin to, unless you've got these these genetic predispositions to um, detoxification uh, pathway issues. In most cases, the body will actually do what it's supposed to do. Um, I like to 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 to, to th think about the the immune system as a juggler, just juggling you know hundreds or thousands of 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 objects or issues, right? Especially your liver. It's just constantly doing that, and, and and if it's in if it's in a good place, it's doing this with its eyes closed and its arm tied behind its back. It's just no problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, mold is like a guy across the room throwing baseballs at him. You know, something's going to give. So what happens is the balls get dropped, and then it goes into protection mode, right? Everything else falls away. These other processes become become marginalized in the interest of survival. Right, we're just going to protect, and so, um, and so until that onslaught stops, there is no space for that for for the for the juggler to to, and I literally have juggling balls here, um, and to 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 mm -hmm. to regain the rhythm of a normal immune system process, and so you know, and that's why it takes time to heal on these things because once that onslaught stops, then you know the 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 body will start picking up a couple of them, and then it'll start juggling, and eventually, given enough time and given enough space and given enough enough latitude, you'll start to see that the all the processes pick up in many cases, unless there's pre-existing conditions that, are, that that complicate that, um, and so um, so. So really what I look at is, you know, basically there's four basic human needs, right? Air, water, food, and shelter. And 
and so, you know, with houses, you know, or with our buildings, you know, we can live without a building for a while, depending upon the climate. Uh, food, you can live without for what, three weeks, maybe. Um, water, you can go for maybe three days. Air, three minutes. Um, and yet, of all of those four things, air is the thing we think about last. And yet it's the thing that you can't live without for the shortest period of time. Everyone's focused on diet and that's great. And you should drink pure, pure, clean water. It's very important. But breathing is so fundamental. It's actually just hiding in plain sight right under the tip of your nose. I mean, listen, you, you breathe 13 to 15 times a minute, which comes out to 20,000 times a day. There's nothing you do more on a semi-conscious basis. I mean, your heart beats more than that, but you're not thinking about it. Um, and, and you certainly can't control that. But you know, 20,000 times a day, think about that as 20,000 doses. If you take 20,000 doses of anything, it's cumulative, right? And so that's why I say there's no such thing as neutral. There's either life-giving, life-affirming, nutritive, detoxifying air, and a building that supports that, or there's toxifying, um, you know, uh, 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 disease-inducing um, air that that will literally break you down. And it's so fundamental that nothing you do, aside from uh, nothing you do in addition, whether it be exercise or or nutrition uh, or or uh, mindfulness or biohacking, there's nothing you can do to overcome a toxic environment. So if you're drinking shitty water and you're breathing shitty air, it doesn't matter what you do outside the house. Your, your foundation is, is, is at risk and, and it will undermine any other, any other positive efforts. Um, and so that that's why that's why the, what we talk about here is I think it's it's really it, this is not something that's this is not a niche business that I'm in this mold thing. Um, I used to joke around and say, well, if it's a niche, we only care about people who live in buildings and breathe air. That's all. Those are the only people we want to talk to, mm -hmm. you know. And so this is universal, right? The, and and it's also that you know we spend ninety percent of our time indoors, whether it be our homes or our workplaces or the vehicles that we use to get between those. So we are we are now spending so much time indoors that uh, that uh, 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 Rob Dunn, who's a, a fabulous author, he's written a bunch of books on the microbiome and wrote a, a wonderful book which I highly recommend called Never Home Alone about the critters that live in our buildings. And uh, and he he says that we should no longer be referred to as Homo sapiens. He thinks we should be called Homo indoorus. Uh, because we're essentially an indoor species. <laughs> um, and he's right. And we, what we've done really, and I think a big part of the, the reason why mold sensitivities are so high is because uh, we, we're sl we, we've, we've slowly separated ourselves more and more from nature, right? We wear rubber sh shoes with rubber bottoms. Uh, we close up our houses so tight now that uh, you know, we basically turn off our AC, turn our heat on, turn our heat off, turn our AC on. Uh, people, you know, they over HEPA filter, which we can talk about also. Um, they over filter, over clean, over sanitize. Um, and, um, and so, you know, the word human, the root word is humus, which is, which is soil. Um, I mean, that's our true heritage, right? We, are, we, are, we, are, we come from it and then we're to go back to it. Um, and, and, you know, our entire gut is comprised essentially of soil microbes. We're not really digesting our food. We're essentially composters, you know? Um, and so, you know, our microbiome in us, on us, and around us 
um, you know, we're an, we're an integral part of this, but we're doing our best to sanitize all the time, whether it be antibiotics or chemicals on the outside or sprays or zappers or ozone or all this stuff. And, and the data on this is really strong. By the way, quoting uh, Rob Dunn from uh, Never Home Alone again, you know, the data on this is, is very strong. There's microbial diversity. The, 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 you want to have a high microbial diversity in your building. We talked about this at the show, actually, a little bit. The more microbes you have in your house, that there's the, the data shows the lower cases of asthma, allergies, and, and autoimmune disease that you'll see. And the opposite is also true. If you've sanitized your house and you've got uh, a very low microbial diversity, uh, we see those houses having much higher incidence of asthma, allergies, and autoimmune disease. And I should also mention autism uh, is also um, popping up in those, those those same conversations. And so, um, so we we're not really looking. To, we're not we're not in the anti mold business. Let me make this clear. Uh, we're in the not letting mold grow in your house business, right? So mold spores are a normal part of a healthy environment. Um, and, and in fact, they're hormetic stressors. You breathing them in actually teaches your body about what's normal in our environment. Mold spores are so abundant on our planet um, that you will never be able to avoid them. I mean, they're in the clean rooms at Intel. We can barely keep them out of operating rooms, uh, even with the best HEPA filtration. Um, you know, Kingdom Fungi, fun fact, produces 50 megatons of mold spores every year. 50 megatons is the equivalent of 500,000 blue whales. Um, it's, it's a massive, massive producer of biological particulate. And uh, we find them in, in, in spore clouds 13.7 miles above the Earth's surface in weather, with weather balloons. So you're not getting away from mold spores. Uh, the, the, the key to a healthy building is not, is not being mold-free. It's, it's preventing mold growth from occurring in your home. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I love your thought on that. And I actually interviewed uh, Andrew Melrose yesterday and he's kind of like on this 80-20 kind of rule, like let's get the big problems out of the way and let's see like how to balance the body because it is a normal part of your environment. We don't want to be perfect here and you know try to destroy and clean everything. We're trying to look for the 80-20. If you're really sensitive, maybe it's 90-10. But definitely I like your guys' kind of level-headed thinking about like this is a natural part of the environment. You should be able to be around some kind of mold, but you shouldn't be so reactive to it and having all the symptoms. And But I do agree that you can't have the overgrowth, especially if you have some immunological issues already um, kind of present. That's like where I was at, like, uh, you know, looking at it now, I've been detoxing some mercury and some cadmium and these heavy metals. Also, the lime was there, whatever. It could have been just the mold, but maybe it was actually lime. And my body was somewhat functioning. I don't think I was optimal by any means with those heavy metals, but I wasn't super, super sick until... I got into that moldy place. And like you said, that's probably when my liver just shut down. It was just like, I don't have time to try to get rid of any heavy metals or, you know, worry about any type of keeping the lime at bay because now I'm just trying to filter these mycotoxins because my place had a crawl space. I live in Florida. I see mold on the vent, you know, had one of them old school tubs, but I feel like are probably the worst because there's like the tubs, like there was just wooden walls on all four sides in the old school, like round tub, it was an older house and you just had like the curtains all around. But I just remember like any little splash would like get on the wall and then the humidity was crazy in there. And that's when I got really sick and I was on a bunch of antibiotics. Uh, it's funny you say bubble boy. You're the second person on my show. Uh, Eileen Durfee from Creative Solutions also called herself like the bubble boy. And she said she's actually related to the bubble boy, like somehow, some way. And that's what my friends used to call me. 
I used to um, break out in hives. My mom had to change all of like the laundry detergent. I would get these fungal like overgrowths on my face that they didn't really know what they were. And I would just put cream on it. I never really got the asthma, but either way, I would have a lot of ear infections and they would just, I mean, I was on antibiotics for like 15 years straight, like four, five, six times a year. They would just give me the drops in my ear. I'd be taking them fungal creams, you know, breakout and hives and it would go away. I'd get really sweaty. And, uh, you know, I just still could play sports and everything. So I just like kind of powered through it. But then all of that destroying of the system as I got older, you know, then I partied for a long time. And so then I was like using Adderall for energy because my energy was slowly just going down from the antibiotics, the metals, the partying. It was just like getting bad. And then once I was in the moldy place, it was a wrap. Like within two months, I was like seeking out doctors. Like I was just, just, you know, I bought a sauna, I'm taking binders. And like you said, you can do all the coffee enemas and change your diet and everything. But if you're in that moldy space where it's just like terrorizing you, like nothing made me feel better. Not the enemas, not any, I think they were just like kind of keeping me alive a little bit. Like the red light from the sauna gave my mitochondria a little boost. The enemas would have helped my liver out a little bit. It would kind of just get me through the day, but I was taking naps every day. I was breaking stuff. Like I was just talking about this with Andrew. Like I, I would just drop things. Like I didn't, like my brain and my hands weren't like on the same page a lot of times. Like I would just drop dishes and shit. It was, it was bizarre. I used to play all these sports and be really coordinated. It was crazy. And, and for the first time, um, I actually like experienced like severe depression, you know, like for just being so tired and the neuroinflammation and it was like, it wasn't suicidal, but it was just like low grade depression, like 24 seven, where it was like nothing you could do, like the sauna, you know, yoga, getting sunlight, like it would all just work for like two minutes. And then you would just go back to feeling like literally awful. And I actually just wanted to um, if it's not too touchy, was to ask you if your um, mom, when she did do the suicide, was she is still in the moldy place? Do you think that that kind yeah. of played in? Because I felt that if I wasn't a little bit more level headed and like meditating every day and like seeking out knowledge, thinking that I could heal myself, the, someone else who wasn't doing everything that I was doing potentially could have had suicidal tendencies for sure. Absolutely. Um, so yes, I mean, there's, there's a lot there and, and this is going to be uh, fascinating to you. So everyone's focused on mycotoxins when it comes to mold, um, mold produces mycotoxins, mm -hmm. but only certain ones, um, roughly a dozen or so, uh, produce mycotoxins that were really worth talking about. Um, and so, but there are about 140,000 known and identified species of mold. And so when we see roughly a thousand or so that occur indoors, um, on a regular basis. And so, you know, is it, is it really true, if you think about this, that that all these people that are experiencing mold problems are only experiencing uh, sickness because of 12 molds? Probably not, because those molds are actually typically the water damage indicators. They're the late stage colonizers. Mold colonizes in three phases, primary, secondary, and tertiary colonizers. Primary colonizers are the first guy that show up at the party. They're like the – they're just like the, the – the molds that will typically, uh, uh, they're the ones that eat the the, the, the surface dust. Uh, they're just the, they're, they're the ones that kind of clean up first. Uh, the secondary ones are a little more hardy. And the third ones, the tertiary ones, are, uh, are have the chemical weapons. Um, they're the ones who, um, they're, they're the ones who are, are at the top of the food chain. 
They like to eat the other molds, um, and they're very, very durable. They're also the ones that have the ability to digest um, more difficult things like cellulose, so they can actually eat your building, right? They're the beginning of rot and decay, um, and so uh, and and they're the ones that uh, that that are known to uh, to create things like you know stachybotrys, for example, creates the trichothecenes, which is a you know has been a derivative of that or or some very similar 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 chemical called T two toxin was used in the Iran Iraq War. Right, so I mean, this is potent stuff. Um, but that being said, most houses don't. Most houses that have mold problems don't have those molds. Um, they, they simply don't. So why is it that people are getting sick in those buildings if if there's if they're if they're not getting those? And by the way, most mycotoxin tests, um, most of those results, um, contrary to popular opinion, um, are actually not from air. They're from food. So that's that's another another path we can go down, and I'm glad to to pursue that. But so I, I bring that up because mycotoxins are one thing that mold produces, and only certain ones produce it. And even those molds only produce them when they're threatened or when they're in, in they're, they're they're oftentimes when there's a a, a problem with when, when the moisture starts to go away, they start to dry out. They'll sometimes produce toxins, or when there's a competitive threat. Um, and so it's too inconsistent. And these things don't become airborne. Easily, mycotoxins are oily substances, most of them, uh, and they actually stick on the surfaces. Mold doesn't care about the air; it uses it as a transport mechanism. But what it wants to produce, what it wants to protect with mycotoxins, is the surface it's eating. Just think about the logic of that, right? So, and so when when mold spores break free and they become uh, aloft, they will often have the mycotoxins on them. But boy, you have to breathe a lot of that, a lot. To be able to get the kind of mycotoxin levels that that people um, uh, uh, report in these uh, in their in their labs, so the other thing that molds produce, of course, is spores, which we talked about, and those typically uh, they they can carry mycotoxins, but typically they 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 trigger allergic reactions, upper respiratory stuff, um, and in really sensitive people, um, you can have anaphylaxis, and and in people with compromised immune systems, of course, you can have fungal infections. So this is not something to be taken lightly. But mold spores are in every single breath you take. Um, without any ill effect, even if you're even if you are sensitive, you're going to be breathing in some degree of, of mold spores in every single breath you take, um, and then that's a good thing, by the way. That's a like I said, it's a hormetic stressor, right? The dose makes the poison. Small amount, okay. Large amount, maybe not so much. The third thing that molds produce, and that all molds produce during active mold growth, are known as microbial gases or microbial VOCs. Now, many people these days know about VOCs because we know about them from building materials. We know the paints um, and and furniture that you get, for, you know, the new carpet will off-gas. Those VOCs are very potent. Um, there, many of them are, are, are group one carcinogens, um, and they are linked to headaches, nausea, dizziness, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, all sorts of stuff. Um, and so we know that we, we want to very, very much limit those in our buildings. Molds also produce VOCs, and the most popular one uh, that, that many people actually really enjoy is alcohol. Right, that's the byproduct of fermentation. That is a microbial VOC, um, and so, um, and again, dose makes the poison. Right, um, so you know a little bit of it, probably okay. A lot of it, probably not. So the the microbial gases, that musty smell that mold produces um, has long been considered a, an aesthetic nuisance, right? It's a musty smell. It's the basement smell. It's just this thing. It's just, well, not a big deal. Well, uh, recent research uh, done at Rutgers University with my friend Joan Bennett, Dr. Joan Bennett, uh, who's a fungal geneticist, um, 
has shown that uh, that this that these compounds are actually um, much more serious than than we think. She actually is lobbying to have them. Uh, she's she's lobbying for a term uh, that she calls uh, volatoxins. Um, so the the way this all came about is that she was a she was a professor at Tulane down in New Orleans, and um, she had uh, she had a house in the Ninth Ward. And when um, Hurricane Katrina came through, she was up at Rutgers. Uh, she had just taken a new role, and uh, she knew that her house had been severely uh, damaged. And so she went down there as a good mycologist with a bag full of petri dishes to go sample. And she brought an N95 respirator with her, which of course will keep the particles from coming in. And knowing what she knows about mycotoxins that they carry on the particles, she knew that would protect her from exposure. So she walked into her building water damage six feet high you know all of her all of her books on mycology by the way the study of mold and fungi were all water damaged and moldy so the pictures that she has are fascinating and she and she by the way she published all of this in a paper uh, known as silver linings and so anyone who wants to look this up she put this in the show notes um, silver linings and she she posts pictures of of, of her uh, water damaged building including a giant mushroom by the way that was all moldy uh, that she had in her collection, but anyway, the the point is that she she walked in with her respirator on, and what she did notice was that she could smell the smell is very strong, and as time went on, uh, as she was in in the building for a matter of minutes, she began to not feel well, and uh, and then uh, within uh, uh, 20, 30 minutes, she had to she had to leave. She felt ill. She was sick for a few weeks. And so she walked out of there and thought, geez, what, what just happened? You know, um, I, you know, I, I protected myself. I was wearing a respirator. It couldn't be the mycotoxins. It couldn't be the spores. So what is it? The only thing that was coming through was the smell. So she took this ob observation, like a good scientist, back to her lab and said, what's in that smell? And she found um, uh, that she could isolate uh, one particular chemical, which is known as the mushroom alcohol, one octin three all. And um, and she began doing experiments with it, and so she she used these special uh, fruit flies, Drosophila flies, that are that fluoresce when they produce dopamine. Uh, it's amazing what you can buy online, and uh, and so she began experimenting with exposing these fruit flies to the musty smell, and uh, and what she saw very quickly was that uh, they began um, they would fly down instead of to the light, which is their normal natural inclination. They stopped reproducing. Um, they um, they stopped producing dopamine, so they got depressed essentially. Um, and uh, they also uh, stopped. Re uh, I mentioned they stopped re reproducing. They developed a part what she calls Parkinsonian like symptoms. So uh, and locomotor disorder. So you talked about dropping stuff, right? Literally losing coordination. That is a, that is that that was observed in animal studies based upon exposure to the musty smell. Wow. Okay. Uh, so they became depressed. They lost their coordination. Um, later studies uh, done uh, so, uh, uh, by, by um, some of her students showed uh, that the musty smell also did mitochondrial damage uh, and, uh, and, of course, leads to premature death. And so um, what's interesting about this is that before <laughs> – before all of this, in 2008, Brown University did a study that included 6,000 participants, and they uh, um, they were they were looking to see if there was a correlation between mold and dampness indoors and depression. And uh, 
they they had a, it was they they uh, interviewed these people based upon their knowledge of the building conditions and then a sort of a quality of life assessment. So they asked them if they knew if they had mold, um, and if um, uh, and also you know basically the quality of life assessment is you know how how are you feeling? Um, and so what they found was that people who 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 said that they they had mold that was unresolved uh, had a much higher incidence of not 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 feeling good, feeling disempowered, and being depressed. And um, so they weren't able to to sort of pin the tail on the donkey and say, "Is this a chemical response, or is this a circumstantial thing?" You know, like if you've got mold in your building and you haven't gotten it fixed, chances are you're experiencing some other problems. You may have some financial issues. You may be living in a place where you don't have you don't have the ability to to do it because you don't have permission. You know, oppressive landlord, partner, whatever. So you know, there's lots of reasons why that would be pretty depressing. You know, um, if you're if you're stuck in your life. Um, but this this animal study or this 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 fruit fly study shines a different light on it, and it shows that there is a chemical correlation or chemical um, uh, chemical um, connection, if you will, um, between the musty smell and neurological issues. Um, it's you know, it's, Joan Joan says very clearly that these are neurotoxins. Um, and all molds produce these. And if you talk to anyone who's had mold illness, the number one complaint is is neurological. It's cognitive. And everyone's chasing the mycotoxins. And yet only a, an infinitesimally small percentage of these molds produce them. And yet all of the molds produce these neurotoxic chemicals. And nobody's talking about this, Matt. Nobody's talking about this. This is something that I that I, I pound the drum on because it's fascinating and it's hiding in plain sight. And you know why no one's talking about this? There's no test. <laughs> There's no protocol. There's no detox. Mycotoxins are an industry. There's an industry of labs doing the testing. There's an industry of functional care uh, people who 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 I think honestly believe that this is this that what they're doing is um, is correct. And I'm here to tell you that most of them, most of them are, are incorrect. Um, the, the the most of the mycotoxins are not coming from buildings; they're coming from food. And I can tell you that you know, especially when you start talking about like vomitoxin and these kinds of uh, um, uh, trichothecenes, um, these these come from fusarium. I've been doing mold testing for 20 years, longer now, 22 years, and I've never seen a fusarium infestation in a building, <laughs> never, never once. And yet you see. A vomitoxin in all these reports. You know, vomitoxin loves to grow on cereal grains, and and um, not, not vomitoxin grow, the, grows, but the vomitoxin comes from um, from fungi that loves to grow on corn and and cereal grains and stuff like that. And and um, the United Nations used to say that twenty five percent of foodstuffs globally are contaminated with mycotoxins. And a group of food scientists looked at this and said, "Where'd you get that data?" And um, they said, this, this, this seems ridiculous. And so they, they got together into this global meta study and they uh, began looking at, at uh, grains and, and other exports all over the world. And what they found was that at port, before export, the numbers were much lower, more like 10%. But then they followed those exports all the way to the port of, of uh, the, the, the receiving uh, port. And they found once it had gotten there, uh, that the numbers were much much higher. They were like more like between sixty and eighty percent of the food was contaminated with mycotoxins. These are on shipping containers, unconditioned shipping containers on the ocean for a month. In many cases, who knows how long they sit at port? 
before they end up going to some other storage facility. And then they end up in, you know, the big, the big food companies in there, you know, in the boxed and bagged grain products that are contaminating our grocery stores and our, and our, and our society. You know, the low cost, the, the procurement of low cost grains uh, in our restaurants and in our grocery stores is probably the leading cause of mycotoxins in uh, in our in our in our in our bodies, um, and it's not just the the grains. Although people, you know, you know, no sugar, no grains is how I ended up. I think because uh, I ended up because of the antibiotics. I, I learned that if I ate a bagel, I had this out of body experience, and I would like ferment. I was like producing, you know, I was like a I was like a like a I, I felt like I was like a like a uh, like a still, you know, like I would actually produce alcohols and stuff when I ate simple carbs because I'd wiped out my gut and I, all I had was yeasts uh, in me. And so I went on a no sugar, no grains diet when I was 18 and I've been there ever since, which is part of the reason why keto con and, and, and biohacking really resonated with me. And I didn't really realize at the time what I was really doing was doing a detox diet, <laughs> you know? So I allowed my body to, to purge these things slowly over time. And, um, and also I, and I also focused heavily on, on organic and, and, and humanely raised, um, meats, um, organic vegetables and, and fruits and, and humanely raised meats. And, and by the way, it turns out that that's also a detox, uh, protocol because as it turns out, uh, conventional meats are, um, are also loaded with mycotoxins. It gets passed through in their fats. And why does, why do they have mycotoxins? Well, because they're fed moldy grains. You know, and you're, they're fe being fed food that they're not supposed to eat. Like cows are fed moldy corn. And next thing you know, it ends up in the milk. And next thing you know, it ends up in their fat. And next thing you know, we've got people with mycotoxins and they've got vomitoxin. They're like, where's that coming from? Well, you know, I mean, start looking at wh what animal in your food chain uh, is eating moldy grains. Go all the way to the source. So, so at the end of the day, um, this is a broader conversation. But the but unfortunately, there's an entire industry around mycotoxins and around detoxification that is misinformed as to the source of these things, um, and are missing the predominant cause of most mold-related illness, in my opinion, based upon my experience, which is the musty smell, and and this cumulative exposure. And then we also exacerbate this. Also gets exacerbated by the fact that we live in buildings that are essentially chemical boxes. So that mold VOCs on top of your personal care products, your, your building materials, the, the new furniture you get, your new car smell. If you renovate a house and you're painting and you're refinishing the floors and you're not choosing specifically, very, very specifically choosing materials that don't have uh, high VOCs and that are not going kind to of off gas, you are buying materials that have VOCs and that will off gas. It's just like if you buy food at the grocery store and it does not say organic, it is, it is, it is conventional. That has garbage in it. If it does not say organic, buyer beware. Same thing with building materials. If it does not say no VOC, uh, and you can pick it up and smell it, right? We, we are just awash in these chemicals. Um, and so, you know, in fact, I was just reading the other day that we're, that, that we're getting 60 to 80,000 new chemicals introduced into our environment every year and only about 1,500 of them are tested. Um, and so we're just getting, we're getting barraged by these things. And so you start looking at lime and mold and then VOCs on top of it. You know, we, we have to be like, we have to double down on, on, on 
purity and clarity and detoxification and making really wise choices, not just around the food you eat and the water you drink and the, and the air you breathe, but also the things that you bring into your building, the materials, the furniture, the finishes, all of those things. And unfortunately, we've associated success with that new car smell and the new house smell. Right? These are these are these are like, you know, celebratory moment. You walk and you smell that smell, that new apartment that you just got that it just put a fresh coat of paint in. That feels great when you move in. You're like, and it smells good. That's toxic. I mean, that's bad stuff. And that's cumulative. And so you add those things up with all of the other things that I just mentioned. And you can't expect to do well. And we wonder why we've got, you know, one out of three adult one out of three um Women will have cancer and adult women right now will have cancer in their lifetime, not including skin cancer. And and the recent stat is also one out of two men will have cancer, not including skin cancer, men our age. Um, so we're, we're facing some real existential threats. And so it's not it's no longer you can no longer just kind of like, you know, look the other way on this stuff. I mean, you can, uh, but to your own detriment, you know. Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman, and through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Yeah, there's a lot there. So it sounds like there obviously the environment is a big piece, but some of these more um, species of mycotoxins that are going to cause more of the depression might be found in a lot of our common foods. That, I mean, you hear that all the time, but you never really hear anyone like hammer at home like that. That was amazing. And it's funny that you say the food and, you know, cancer is like, I just seen this, uh, I shared it on my Instagram about this, the, the Amish community that's been studied recently, it's been circulating around the internet, is they found like zero rates of cancer, diabetes, autism, zero children in the Amish community are developing any of these things that we now call common, like you're saying, one in two, one in three, like that's unreal as far as the statistics go. But if you look at an Amish community who's doing what? Not wearing sunscreen, growing all of their own food, eating animals that they raised. They don't play with technology, which EMF's a whole another show. But, you know, just all of these like old school things where they know where all their food comes from. They're not spraying any chemicals. So they're probably eating grains. They're probably making sourdough bread, but they grew it all. Or their other family down the road grew it. Or, you know, they probably they know where all of everything comes from. And they don't have any of the stuff that we have. And we like this cheap, convenient way of living where we just order groceries to the door and, you know, we just think meat's meat. But it's and the fascinating part is, I think, um, where you spoke about the mycotoxins and the animal fats, because I think there's a big community around, like, you know, eating more red meat, which I, I surely do. I love mine, but I get mine from white oak pastures, you know. So there's a difference between getting it from the farm up the street who uses good practices or a place like white Oaks or just going to Walmart and getting the cheapest beef possible, which I know if that's your budget, I would still probably eat that over not eating meat at all. I do think it's still got a lot of critical nutrients in it, but we have to be looking at the, the fat, you know, all of the fat that's within beef and beef super fatty. 
that's the same thing as humans. That's where your toxins are stored. The heavy metals, the mold, your body doesn't want them in the bloodstream. They got to go somewhere. So they get stored into your fat. And if you've ever done a real detox, you'll notice like certain days when you don't feel well, you'll look almost five, 10 pounds bigger because your body will bloat purposefully so that those toxins aren't like damaging any organs and things like that. And then the next day you'll look skinnier than you did three days ago. It's, it's insane. The water weight fluctuation when you're detoxing these metals and molds and different things like that. It's, it's really bizarre, but to think about the food industry, because most people in the space, they're kind of just hammering home like moldy coffee which I really do agree with because coffee, I, if I'm not mistaken, has that ability to cross the blood brain barrier. And so if you have different pesticides and toxins in coffee, I think it gets right into the brain and causes like almost instant because you can feel it when you take a sip of coffee, you get that dopamine within like one second. You're like, Boop, oh, I feel good. Well, what if there's also like pesticides and mold and everything in there as well? Yeah. You're going to feel good from the dopamine, but then you're going to get that anxiety real quick that comes along with all of these mycotoxins and pesticides. So the food portion there is fascinating. Yeah. And, it, and it's also really, you look at um, tomato sauce, peanut butter, but like the sauces, uh, tomato sauce and uh, um, applesauce are also uh, fascinating because, uh, you know, they, they take the uglies that are, of course, moldy, throw them in a bin. And then they sit there for a while before they get processed and then they get processed. And so, you know, you've got, you know, all the stuff that you wouldn't, that's not friendly for, you know, consumer, um, that that's not marketable goes into these sauces and it just hides it. And the same thing with these moldy grains, you know, I mean, there's very little testing on these, um, there's willful ignorance and then they process them and they put them in bags and boxes and crackers and stuff like that, you know, uh, and these things tolerate mycotoxins do not get destroyed worse, the with bulk you. section. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, you know, it's the, the Amish, they're not the storing section, their stuff. The, 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 the Amish are not storing their stuff in, in, in shipping containers at, uh, across an ocean for a month. You know, they're, they're respectfully storing these things. They're treating them with care, right? They're eating them uh, in season, right? Uh, and, and so, you know, there's just a whole different level of care, which is, goes back to the idea of local seasonal, organic, humane, right? Like th this is, this is, this is not a trend. This is the way it began. And we have gone so far away. We've gone so far that we think that, you know, when you get blueberries from Peru, you think that's normal, you know, or we're getting strawberries in December, you know, like, give me a break. You know, like we wonder why we're having these problems and where we're literally defying nature. Yeah, back to that bulk section, too. I think a lot of the not just plant based community, but the people who are trying to be more like eco friendly, they don't like want to waste the plastic. They want to eat these things out of the bins that literally are just sitting there molding away because you don't want to waste the plastic bag. But at least the, the nuts are probably been sealed up ever since they've been harvested. So there's less likely to be some mold in the bag of macadamia nuts than the macadamia nuts that are just been sitting Lord knows where, and then just in this tub for you to just wait and dispense some. And I got caught up in that when I was in the plant-based world thinking I was like saving the planet, but they, those things get shipped in giant plastic bags. Anyways, like there's plastic being used for those no matter what. And then they're getting mold and whatever else on them just sitting wherever with no seal on it so it's super funny how like 
I don't know, there's like kind of greenwashing going on everywhere within like the eco space. Everywhere. And and it's, you know, it's, I, I, I even, you know, kind of scoff at the idea of, you know, you, you, when you're checking out the grocery store, it's like, do you want plastic or, or paper? Well, do you want to cut down a tree or drill for oil? I mean, it's like, no, there, <laughs> there's, there's no winning, you know, like you bring your own bags, but even those mostly are plastic, you know, and recycled bottles. Okay. Fair. You know, um, but now we've got more of those being produced. They're pollutant now. Those those reusable bags, you know, they've become their own their own issue. But you know, but it it is it is it is fascinating and it's daunting. Listen, you know, Sarah, my my better half, um, says, you know, like sometimes Jason, you know too much. You know, like this is this it's it's this this is kind of a burden knowing these things um, because it, it it you 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 find yourself would lim- their limit it creates a lot of limitations right but i think the m- most important thing to to recognize is that this does not need to be something that people need to be afraid of uh, you know and i also and and it's especially when it comes to mold um but also when it comes to you know food and and these other sort of what people might call hazards you know life is filled with hazards like like i mean life is dangerous life is life's a terminal illness essentially right i mean really um but the bottom line is that you can you can look at this as something to be aware of so that you can be discerning so that you can make good decisions for you and your family Rather than something to be afraid of, because I think that when you also see people that are suffering from mold-related illness, especially chronic mold-related illness and chronic Lyme and these kinds of things, they, there's a, an emotional dysregulation that's that's very common, not just depression, but a real sort of fight-or-flight adrenal type thing, um, you know, limbic system. Uh, dysregulation, and and these people tend to be very fearful. You know, very af- afraid of mold, or very afraid of exposures, and I can't help but think after I've seen so many of these cases that that's that's exacerbating the whole thing, and that really the idea is to not be afraid of these things, but to recognize them as a normal as a normal thing. You look at it like a like a a, a a boulder in the road. You know, you're not afraid of the boulder in the road. You drive around it, right? You're aware of it. You don't ignore it. You don't drive into it. You don't ignore it. Like pretend it's not there. You drive around it. Um, but there's nothing to be afraid of, you know? Um, and, and by the way, I also, I have a different philosophy on, on, uh, mold and buildings. I, you know, I, I more and more think about the buildings that we live and work in as extensions of our immune system, uh, like an exoskin or an exoskeleton. Um, and, uh, and, you know, like I said, we, 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 we're, we, you know, there's four basic human needs and, and shelters, one of them. And, you know, we're kind of like hermit crabs. We don't do too well without our shell. You know, we need, we need these buildings. Um, but again, they're kind of a blind spot uh, for many of us. We just think about them as these boxes that we live in and store our stuff in. Uh, but nothing can be further from the truth. You know, uh, I, 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 think, I think, you know, about the building sometimes as kind of an organism. Uh, you may, may, may have heard me talk about this on Freddie's show. Um, but, you know, you've got uh, – you could, you could say that the, the building has a respiratory system in the HVAC. You know, you could say it's got a circulatory system in the plumbing, uh, that the electrical system is kind of like a nervous system or a, like a, uh, um, like a nervous system. And then you, you could see that the, the, the siding and, you know, the, 
the, the cladding on the outside of the building is a lot like dermis. If you look at it, like a cross section, you've got the siding and you've got layers of skin or layer, you know, and then you've got the fat, which is the insulation and you've got the bones, which are the studs. And, you know, the building looks a lot like a, like a, like a, like an organism, um, which is defined as a system of life sustaining systems, right? The integrated system of, 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 of life sustaining systems. And, um, and then there's the question about like, where's the immune system? And, uh, and it, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think that that's us. We're the immune system. Um, see, we're like the mitochondria inside the building. Our job is to keep all these processes moving, right? We're the energy source, right? We're paying the bills, making sure the energy comes in. We're making sure all that stuff works and processing everything so that mm-hmm. all these other systems can be supported. And, um, and so if we fail to do that, the building starts to break down just like our cells do if the mitochondria starts to fail, right? The building, a building unoccupied that, that, that does not experience, experience in that level will, will fall apart very quickly, especially modern construction. Um, and so, you know, a building has a, a, a birthday and potentially a death day and its longevity is largely driven by how well you care for it. Um, and so when a building starts to fail or starts to have problems, aches and pains, you know, the first way it fails is it, it fails to shed wind and water. That's a building's primary purpose is to shed wind and water. And when it fails to do that, the wind and water get into the building. And the first thing that happens when you have a moisture problem in a building is that mold grows. And mold grows very quickly. And we'll talk about that in a minute too. Mold growth only takes 24 to 48 hours to grow when something gets wet and stays wet. Um, and so uh, the first signal that you get that you've got a moisture problem in the building is the musty smell. And that musty smell is, is, is like a pain signal, right? Just like when you have a, an ache or a pain, your body sends you a signal and says, hey, you got to do something about this. Um, and if you don't do something about that, it gets worse and worse and worse. And we know from from you know, we know that with, when with the body, acute inflammation can be addressed usually you know with some sort of re- remedial effort. And uh, but chronic inflammation is its own disease, right? And can lead to cancer and other, everything else. Same thing goes with with chronic dampness. You know, the moisture intrusion uh, can be dealt with quickly. Can be handled immediately, especially if you listen to the signal. You can smell that musty smell. You know you've got a moisture problem. You got to go fix that. Find the water problem, fix it, and then clean up the mold. But if you let that keep going, you go, we're going back to the primary colonizers, secondary colonizers, and tertiary colonizers. If you let that go, you end up with the secondary and tertiary colonizers. And next thing you know, your bot, your your building starts to break down. You start to have rot. Right, you end up with the, the really aggressive molds that send out these chemical toxins, and essentially you end up with cancer in your building you know, um, and that requires surgery, right? In some cases, it leads to death of the building. And what happens when the building gets sick is that the people inside it get sick. And then when the building heals, so do the people. So you could argue that there's a real symbiotic relationship here. You know, the building needs us and we need it. And the moment we stop taking care of it, it starts to, we pay the price. Um, So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's, this is an awareness that I'm trying to cultivate with people is to recognize that if you take care of your building, it will take care of you, you know? Yeah. Beautifully said. And I know um, we kind of spoke on like water damage and moisture, but I know that you are also pretty big on um, the materials that we build buildings with. Why don't we touch on like why the, the actual materials we use are just like, mold love it when did we switch to those materials and like what is the difference like our older houses better as far as the materials go i know older houses have more 
Um, obviously, they've been around longer, so they're more likely to have some form of water damage over time. But I, I've heard that the older materials were actually better as far as and then we switched at one point, And now we just have like this mold infestation everywhere. Yeah, no doubt about it. A long time ago, I wrote a piece on Huffington Post uh, called A Brief History of Mold. Um, which might be fun to put in the show notes. And it talks about this um, in detail. So basically, you know, when we used to build, we built um, buildings out of stone and plaster and brick and um, and essentially impervious materials. Um, they were, we didn't have insulation in the walls, so it was hard to keep comfortable. Um, but, but, but when water got into the walls, they, they would dry out quickly. Um, and so they, they had what's known as high drying potential. Um, and so, uh, so these, these materials, like I said, you know, like slate roofs and old growth timber, uh, do not support fungal growth. Mold will only grow on, uh, materials that are essentially easy to digest. Uh, so it, it likes to eat things like household dust, which is very easy to digest, but also, uh, materials that are made of, um, items that were at one time living. So in nat in a natural environment, molds out in your yard eating uh, leaves and sticks and twigs and, and these kinds of things. And when it's doing that in your yard, its job is essentially to turn things back into dirt. We build buildings essentially out of uh, materials that are made of, um, you know, paper products. Um, and, you know, even the dumbest of the three little pigs didn't build his house out of paper, you know? Um, so we have now we we uh, we use uh, you know young timber uh, which is loaded with sugars and and uh, much easier to digest than the old growth timber. We use sheetrock, which is basically a, a paper sandwich, and mold loves to eat paper. Uh, and the and the sandwich the, the 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 piece in the middle is gypsum, which is very absorptive. So when it gets wet, it holds the water, and then mold growth only takes twenty four to forty eight hours to grow. So you've got a very absorptive material in the middle and paper on both sides. So it's perfect growth medium. I mean, if you know, I joke around it, but you know, if a laboratory runs out of petri dishes, they can just cut a piece of sheetrock out and grow mold just as fast. I mean, it's literally we build buildings out of mold food. Um, and, but the old, old, old structures, plaster does not support fungal growth. Paint, paint will grow, uh, mold, um, it, to a limited degree. Um, but, it, but it's, and especially latex paint again, which is something that we use, uh, now in, in modern buildings. So we, we literally have, have shifted over to, uh, self-composting buildings, just add water, you know? I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing to me. And then, and then we also, you know, and then we, then we paint them with toxic chemicals inside, inside the building with toxic chemicals. And we finish our floors with toxic chemicals. Uh, and then we're like, why do we have all these diseases? Why is cancer, cancer up at, you know, one out of two and one out of three men and women, you know, it's just like scratching your head. Mm, you know, I mean, it's hiding in plain sight. Um, so yes, it, it is, it, modern construction lends itself to uh, mold problems. Not only that, it's also the quality of the construction. The artisan is dead, right? Back in the day, buildings were built by artisans, and there were there was there was there was um, apprenticeships. People understood how to build buildings to sustain, uh, and how again to build buildings that could shed wind and water. Speaking of the Amish, if you go into an Amish barn, okay, you will see through the through the through the through the uh, shingles or the shakes, you can see daylight. You know, these are not sealed. To the outside, like we do with plywood now, right? And we and, shink, and and asphalt. Well, by the way, why do we put oil 
on our roofs. Like, you know, <laughs> we put petroleum products on our roofs. It's just with the things that we do in, in modern society are just really defy logic. Um, but if you go into an Amish or an old school barn where you can see, you can see light and when it rains, not a drop of water comes in, but if it does, the wind also comes through and it dries out, right? These buildings, like I said before, have a high drying potential. Now, when water gets into our walls, um, which it does because of lousy craftsmanship and and uh, and and shortcuts, um, and cheaper building materials, because of course the profit motive, you know, will will invariably lend itself to builders choosing lousy materials and then charging you as much as possible. Water gets into the walls, and it gets stuck because we wrap our houses in plastic now. You know, or at least we wrap them in house wraps to retard vapor. Well, of course, that also slows down drying. And then the insulation that we put in walls is this fluffy stuff that absorbs water. So water gets in and it can't get out, you know? So so everything that we've done in modern construction, oh, also we seal up our buildings really tight um, because we want to save energy. But what that does is it, it eliminates air exchange. So like sick building syndrome, which was, which was a big deal in the 90s, 80s and 90s, uh, was largely eradicated, um, or at least it, you know stopped getting a lot of headlines because uh, they instituted um, air exchange minimums in commercial buildings. Modern residential buildings do not have any such requirements, so these things build up mold mold toxins, musty smells, VOCs, uh, all these things build up. And so, uh, and in fact, air comes, and this is really fascinating: outdoor air makes its way indoors, of course. And that's why we do, with our test kit, we do indoor and outdoor samples and we and our software compares the two. Um, but outdoor pollutants, if you live in the city, for example, or anywhere near like near a gas station, those toxins will make their, or those pollutants will get into, will infiltrate into your building and then they accumulate. And uh, the data on this is fascinating. The indoor air exposure to outdoor air pollutants can be four times greater inside. Listen to this. So outdoor air pollutants that get into your house, you can be exposed four times as much in your house to those same toxins as you would if you were outside because you're rebreathing them. Remember, 13 to 15 times a minute, 20,000 times a day. And so um, so this, this is an argument in favor of filtering the air often, uh, but also in terms of where you choose to live um, because – if you're living near a pollutant, your doors and windows are not going a pollutant source, uh, industrial or, or or lots of combustion. You know, living like street level in a major city um, is is a great way to end up with a very high concentration of of, of uh, outdoor air pollution in your building, in your home, um, and uh, and even and filtering that stuff out will help. Um, but you also run the risk of uh, over sanitizing your air. And then actually lending yourself to to a higher risk of asthma, allergies, and autoimmune disease. So it's a real, it's a it's a really it's a real catch twenty two, in in most cases. You know, it's an argument for for being closer to nature for sure. Yeah, which is my main goal to get out of the city in the next five ten years, and hopefully that becomes a vision from my vision board. I want that. So if we wanted to build a house more old school, maybe like the Amish or with better material, would it be like dramatically more money or are we just unaware? So we just like 
build a house that looks just like the house next door that looks like the one next to that like what what's the deal there would we would we have to if we were doing a new build that we bought a plot of land would it cost a lot more money to use the older materials and build them in that way or are we just unaware so we just let the contractor do what they want well there's a few problems with that um one of them is it's hard to find contractors that will actually use materials outside of what they usually use um contractors are extremely reluctant to 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 use materials that they that they don't use every single day. Um, I've had this problem in, in houses that I renovated where I actually bought the materials and gave it to them and then they went and you got and, and threw those materials away and 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 hid them from me and then tried to use the ones that that Wow. Yeah. I had I brought in no VOC floor finish and uh and it was it was imperative that 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 you know in this house that I had great pains to renovate an old 1860s farmhouse that was made of plaster and lath and all that stuff and it was you know by 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 virtue of that it was healthy to begin with but i i you know i i was not going to replace the plaster i had to replace all the plumbing and electrical so i wasn't going to put plaster back up because that's that's very expensive i mean you're not going to find a plaster um uh artisan um in modern america uh unless you're willing to pay 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 through the nose um and i don't think it's a necessarily the best way to go anyway but by the way because it's a it's a wet application so it's also you know if you've got other materials in there that are that are that could support fungal growth you're actually adding a lot of moisture but there are paperless wallboards and there are you know other other materials um like dens armor plus that don't support fungal growth that's actually a fiberglass with gypsum in the middle instead of paper with gypsum in the middle and the fiberglass doesn't support growth and the gypsum actually has an additive into it an additive in it that prevents it from wicking so it doesn't absorb the water which is the, the sort of the double whammy of modern of sheetrock right the, the the sponge and the paper um so you you know there are there are there are wall boards like that that you can use that um that get you around the the plaster thing um but uh, but yeah this guy and i gave him the, this this uh, this um no VOC bona natural uh, floor finish, and I came in to check on it after he told me it was done. And I walked in, my eyes watered, and I was like, "This is not the stuff. This is not the stuff." So I went looking around, and I found in my dumpster, I found the the, the bottles that he had used cut up into pieces. So he had just completely ignored me, and so he he had to come back and and uh, sand down the floors. Uh, and HEPA vacuum the entire house at his own expense to get all that stuff out. Um, and, uh, so it was, he added quite a bit of work to his own workload. Um, but I was, I was aware enough to know that, right. Most people don't know. Um, and so, yeah, I'm actually working on a building project with, um, with a new partner. Um, we're looking in Arizona right now to build an apartment building that would be a healthy apartment building that would be based on building materials that are that are impervious to mold growth also uh, shielded electrical for low emf or no emf and a hardwired internet and uh and uh air exchange you know like hrvs and ervs to to bring in fresh air from outside and um yeah. a stand, a water filtration for the whole building not just for you know like local for you wouldn't have to pay for it you know um so all of these things uh, all the materials are are either natural or uh or or inert um and so i believe that there's a a, a large market for that i think there's a, a large and growing market not just for people who are sick but also people who are aware and don't want to be sick um and so I, I i'm confident that there will be a shift in that direction and that when the demand meets the supply that that market will mature and, and grow, um, much like organic groceries. 
right? Where that used to be considered kind of your crunchy granola if you went to that store. And now Whole Foods has made this, you know, <laughs> cool. Um, and I think that you'll see healthy buildings. You know, we've got this humongous 114 million, you know, single family houses that are essentially all sick buildings. That's the, that's the reality. You know, we've got aging housing stock of buildings that are, you know, um, that are, that are um, made of, these these chemical boxes that get moldy very quickly when they get wet, um, and that there's no air exchange. So, so I, you know, I, I'm I'm optimistic that the that the materials are available and that there are people that are thinking this way. Uh, it's just going to take time because you know you can't you you can't you can't undo all of that. Like I said, it's 114 million single family homes. You know, it's a big deal. But yes, you yeah. can do it. You can do it. And yes, would it cost are a lot more money? With, um... Yeah, would it? Cost yeah, more money? yeah, I, I, yeah. It would. It would cost more money. Uh, it would cost more money, mostly in timing, planning, uh, and also material selection. I think at the end of the day, it would actually cost. I think you could actually build a building that would be more efficient, and I think you would actually uh, save money on utilities and and things like that. I think you could create a much more um, environmentally friendly building. Um, but the biggest obstacle would, would be finding contractors and architects that are actually willing to entertain you on that. You know, and that that and that's a budgetary issue. More than anything else. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like a, a, a paradigm shift from the old way that we've been using for these last how many ever decades. Are you familiar with Brian Johnson? I think his company Synergy 360. I, there are a few Brian Johnsons. Uh, I may not be talking about the same one. Um, Brian Johnson, the... Uh, yeah, is he a common name. There's one guy that's like reversing his age who's all ripped out and has like 300,000 followers. But there's this other guy with a company called Synergy 360, and he's building completely mold-resistant homes. I'm not sure if uh, you've ever looked into him or connected with him. I could get you connected with him if you wanted to. I thought about interviewing him. I might have him on. I haven't dove in enough to see exactly what the materials are, but I have him on Instagram, and he's like always showing like these houses and buildings that he's building, and he's using all different material, and there's like some crazy foam i thought i seen him spraying in between the walls like everything's supposed to be mold resistant and uh i guess he's having some good uh results with that i would love to connect with him um that's that's my kind of stuff oh yeah this is not the brian johnson i'm i'm thinking of. i just looked them up mm -hmm. um but you know they're really cool building materials like there's this stuff called ac ac uh, uh, um aerated concrete uh ac aerated a I think it's AAC, um, but it's aerated autoclave concrete. So basically, um, they um, they blow bubbles into it. You know, it becomes it's like concrete foam, if you can imagine that. But it's got the the characteristics of concrete in terms of tensile strength and compression and all that kind of stuff, right? But it also has, uh, unlike concrete, which is a lousy insulator, concrete is a thermal bridge. So if concrete, if we get heat on one side of concrete, it's going to get hot and it's going to cool on the other side, right? If you get cold on one side of concrete, it's going to make it cold and it's going to it's going to, you know, draw heat on the other side. So it's a thermal bridge. Uh, AC, um, AAC, I think it is. Uh, will is the opposite it's actually an insulation and so it's got the structural benefits but it also has insulative benefits um and also you use less of it so it's more friendly to the environment uh and you can cut it with a saw with a handsaw unlike other concrete 
It's like literally you can just, Mm. it's really neat stuff. Um, And so there are lots of materials that are emerging that are like that, that can be used uh, that you just have to be aware of them. And, but again, you have to find craftsmen that are willing to use them. Um, And so I tend to think that the people that are going to be doing this kind of work are the people like Brian Johnson, who are builders that have that mission rather than individuals trying to do this for themselves, who are going to have a very hard time cobbling together the resources to make that happen. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, for sure. But hopefully that's the way forward and people are more conscious as far as at least like new builds. Obviously, most people won't have access to that or have the means, but over time, if we keep building enough of them, there will be enough within the environment that maybe you could choose to buy that off someone who already built it or you can rent it or whatever. It looks like maybe apartment building like your case. But I'll definitely I'll get your number after the show and I'll try to connect you over with him. Uh, one of my good buddies is close with him. So I feel like you guys would really hit it off. Um, well, I know we've been talking forever. We haven't even talked about your test yet really, but which is cool. You're just a wealth of knowledge on mold. But I want to get into your test a little bit. And you've kind of created this new um, type of air test that people can just do at home. It looks really, really cool. And I know you said you're kind of working with like a special lab. So it's a little bit different than the older air samples people used to get. So why don't you tell us like how your test works and why the actual lab you use is a little bit different from the regular air test? Sure. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Yeah, we um, so the the technology is known as spore traps, which have been around for for quite some time. Um, there are these uh, cassettes that look like this, um, and they are precision engineered uh, to have air drawn through them. So they act kind of like a filter uh, and they capture the airborne microscopic particles. Um, it requires uh, being drawn through the pump. Actually, we just had these new tripod mounts made, which is kind of cool. Um, but they come like this. So the, the, the air sampling pump, this, this, is, um, this interfaces with the cassette. Uh, it's got a built-in five-minute timer, pulls the air through there. And um, when it's done, you take this off, you put it, put it back into the box that it came from, and you send it back to the lab in a prepaid mailer. Um, the... Um, the the problem with typically getting this kind of testing done is that you have to find a professional to come over and they have to bring over their specialized equipment and everything else. And so what we figured out how to do was make an air sampling pump that um, that duplicates a $1,000 piece of professional equipment exactly. Um, and what's nice about the kit is when you buy the kit, um, you can get either one, two, or three room configurations. Um, it requires an outdoor air sample. Um, and this is this is important. Many of the other tests that are sold, like these petri dishes and Ermi and these kinds of essentially they're junk science. Um, and people who love Ermi are going to scoff at that. But but if they want to read uh, more on why I say that, um, I will send you a link to uh, the article I wrote about Ermi. It's called The Truth About Ermi, um, and it's uh, it's very detailed. Um, but anybody who 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 thinks that Ermi is the answer um, just needs to take 10 minutes and read this piece they may have a change of thought a change of a change of change of heart on that um and so uh so the the outside reference sample is very important because we need to know what's in your normal environment uh in your climate and that's different from from city to city and state to state and country to country uh, and minute to minute for that matter even in the same place um, and so that outside sample is, is is the foundation actually of the sport trap methodology um, so you can get one two or three room kits um, all lab fees and shipping are included 
So there's no secondary transactions. There's nothing else to, to purchase or pay for. Uh, we also are very, very um, um, uh, stalwart in our uh, confident in our confidentiality policy. So we we don't share any of this information with anyone else. Uh, we don't have anything else to sell. We're not in the remediation business. We're not in the solutions business. We're in the uh, knowledge and awareness business. Um, and so, uh, so we can be trusted that we have no conflicts of interest, which is extremely important. Many of these companies have conflicts of interest. Again, the mycotoxin business is a very, you know, there's a whole industry there. Let's, let's find, let's, ERMI always is high, always high. And then the, 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 the inspectors who love that, love it because man, it leads to lots of investigation. They can charge a lot of money. There are guys out there charging six or $8,000 for an inspection that are using ERMI. And then they're turning around and they're handing over the, the, the report to contractors that are giving, you know, $100,000 bids to remediate houses, including things like replacing HVAC systems with metal ducts. Mold does not grow on metal ducts, people. It does not. It might grow on the dust and the metal ducts, but they don't need to be replaced. Mm -hmm. Ever, I mean, you may have to replace them if you want to upgrade and if you want to, you know, change your system um, for other reasons. But you don't replace metal ducts or or HVAC systems because of concern about um, a mold problem that doesn't that cannot be visually confirmed. And that's what happens in a lot of these cases. People are are, are being completely ripped off based upon ERMI scores. Um, it's horrendous, and that that's the main reason why we created this. By the way, you know, I I, I was you know because of all that national press I told you about earlier with all the Good Morning America stuff. Our our phone rang off the hook to, to just endlessly for 15 years, and um, and people who were outside of our coverage area or who couldn't afford a professional inspection would always ask if there's a test kit we could recommend and we couldn't recommend it. And so we saw lots of ERMI, we saw a lot of these you know petri dishes like immunolytics. These are junk science. There's literally no redeeming value for these things. Um, and so uh, so the, the idea behind this is to give people affordable access to high quality data. So we partnered with the number one lab in the country, MLAB PNK, uh, and then they got acquired by Eurofins, which is the big, biggest environmental microbiology lab in the world, $7.5 billion in sales. And um, so we we pay a, a lot more than, than the average um, uh, inspector does for for the kind of analysis that we do, and what's really exciting is we just actually partnered with a company called Sporesight, uh, who has an artificial intelligence uh, based microscope solution, and uh, we've introduced them to Eurofins, and so now they're starting to implement that on our stuff. And so what's cool is that this 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 typically is analyzed by a human. Uh, who counts and categorizes the spores into different categories? So it's a little bit cumbersome, and it takes a, it, it, we have a three day turnaround time. But that's an important point too. When, when you buy the kit and you use it and you send it in a prepaid mailer, our turnaround time is three business days. So we we like to we, we generally shoot for about a one week turnaround time from the time you drop it in the mail to the time you actually get the report. And when you get the report, it's a color coded, really intuitive green, yellow, orange, red. You get the lab data that's organized in a really simple way, so you can see clearly where the problems are. And we organize the spore types into water damage indicators and common dominant outdoors. So you can, even a lay person can, can understand this. And we sold thousands of these. We only had a few people actually call us up and ask us if uh, they can, if, if, you know, ask us for help with the report. It's, it's that intuitive. And then the third page has a list of recommendations, you know, how to find contractors in your area, how to find inspectors in your area. So we don't just leave people hanging. Um, but the uh, the spore site uh, partnership is really exciting because the AI can actually go in there and analyze the entire slide in two minutes instead of twenty minutes. Uh, there's no none of the human error. 
Uh, there's no extrapolation. There's no mathematical irregularities. There's consistency between every location. We don't have to worry about one analyst knowing more versus the other. So there's no there's no uh, uh, variability between analysts and between locations. So that allows us to scale up really nicely, uh, but also with a much, much higher quality product. So that hopefully in the next 30 days or so, we're going to start um, implementing the AI on our, on our uh, samples. So uh, that's very, very exciting. Awesome. Yeah. And then also just sort of like seeing behind, you know, just a little, little, uh, a little view behind the curtain. We're also working on a dust test, um, that uses, uh, uh, something called next generation sequencing. And that will actually, instead of looking at 36 molds, which is what Ermi does again, 36 out of 140,000, <laughs> you know, uh, so 36, it's just like not, it's like not even a rounding error. You know, it's like so infinitesimally, it's small. It's, it's so narrow. It's like driving down the highway at night using a laser beam to navigate instead of headlights. That's what Ermi is like, you know? And so, um, so what we're doing is working on a, on a, on a test that will allow you to take a dust sample from your furnace filter and run it through this next generation sequencing. And it looks at all known microbes and we're essentially, um, creating a water damage panel so that you can see, um, whether or not you're building at a glance, you can see whether or not your building has been, has, has had a history of water damage. Um, again, we're not focused on mycotoxins cause that's not the, that's not the lion's share of the, uh, of illness, but water damage is the cause of, of illness. Um, regardless of the, of the name of the toxin you're being exposed to. Water damage is the key. Mold is not the problem. And that's a really important point here. Mold is a symptom of a moisture problem. So everyone's worried about mold, but it has root cause. And I'm here to tell you that root cause of disease when you're thinking it's mold is not, it's dampness. Water damage, dampness, uncontrolled humidity, un moisture problem. That's the root cause of most of this illness, not mold. Mold is just a symptom. Mold is the aggravator. Um, but if you really want to get to the heart of it, it, there's an imbalance in the building that you either live or work in or, or both. Um, and so these tests are ideally, um, you know, not a replacement for a professional inspection. I should mention that too. Uh, we don't sell this as a, as a, as a way to, 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 to avoid having a professional inspection. Um, we sell it for people sell it, uh, to, to help people who are either unable or unwilling to spend a thousand dollars for a professional inspection as the first step. And if in fact there is a problem, we highly encourage people that's found but with, with the kit, we highly encourage people to consider getting a professional inspection before skipping over to remediation because an inspector and a proper inspector will come in and help you find the extent of the problem. They're not paid by the pound, so to speak, or not paid by the size of the project like a contractor is. They're paid to help you find the source, delineate the extent of it determine the underlying cause or causes and diagnose the moisture problem and then determine what repairs need to be done in order to fix it. And then to help you find contractors and, 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 uh, and remediators that are capable of, of implementing those, uh, those changes. Um, and so a proper inspector is like your best friend. Um, and often, you know, the smallest cost in the whole process of getting a building restored to a normal condition. And so, uh, so it's very important that people, when they buy a, a test kit, of any court of any sort that they don't think that that's going to be the be all end all. It's a cost effective first step. Um, and it gives you the ability to know whether or not you should take, uh, time to make further investment and in time and energy. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, and then when it comes down and this is, uh, you know, the, uh, an important part also is if you're going to go down the path of, of getting an inspector and getting a remediator, you really want to make sure that they're uh, not conflicted. You want to make sure you're getting an independent inspector. You want to make sure that they follow the IICRC S520, which is the mold remediation standard. Um, and that means that they're also going to be, 
um, you know, encouraging a, a chemical-free mold remediation, which is very uncommon, but that's actually what's written in the standard, even though most people don't follow it. Um, and so, uh, so really, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a tricky tricky space for consumers. And so, you know, that's a big reason why. Uh, in addition to the test kit that we offer, you, if you go to our website, you go to gotmold.com, you'll see that we have a ton of of knowledge there available for free. You know, our learning center is is a is is a. Um, is just dense with practical information. We have an ebook, the 46 page ebook that we give away for free on our website that has uh, an inspection checklists and uh, FAQs and um, lots of resources. Um, I tend to think sometimes that we're more of an education company that happens to sell a test kit rather than a test kit company that uses, you know, content for marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and because I think that once people start to understand more about this, um, you know, then, then they'll make better use of the tool that we've created, you know, um, you know, an informed consumer is everybody's best friend. Um, and so, and also, you know, I really feel strongly that, you know, we live in buildings and breathe air, we all do, and we all live on a water planet. Uh, and so like being able to navigate moisture problems in your building, um, is kind of like knowing how to tie your shoes, you know, like it should be, table stakes. It should be like the basic, basic, basic thing. You should know how to, you know, tie your shoes, brush your teeth, deal with moisture problems in buildings. It's so fundamental um, that it's something that every single human being in America should understand because again, we, we all live in buildings, we all breathe air and we're on a water planet. And by the way, we're on planet fungi. 30% of the earth's biomass is fungi. And again, 50 megatons of spores every year, right? Like you get the point, like we're not getting away from this stuff. There's no such thing as mold avoidance. You know, this is a false narrative. This people who think that they're going to avoid mold, this is not possible. What you can do is you can be properly equipped and empowered to navigate through it so that you don't get, uh, so you don't get chronically exposed like you did and like I did, you know, without the awareness, this is, this is bound to happen with the awareness. You can suddenly become this person who, you know, instead of like the canary in the coal mine, you're more like a super sensor, you know? Um, in fact, I often tell people when they ask, what's the best way to test for mold? I'm like, you're the best test, man. You know, you are the best test. You are an exquisite array of precision sensors, you know, and you have sensors in you that you don't even know beyond your five senses. Um, you have, you know, we, we, we have this innate thing that we know when something's off, uh, if you're, if you're able to listen to those signals. Um, and so, um, in fact, people who have sensitivities, environmental sensitivities, I often say that they don't have, that's not a liability. They, they're often sheepish about it and they feel marginalized and, and they feel like they're less than, and society has done a good job of, of saying that, of, of supporting that. But I actually feel like those people have a sixth sense. They have a superpower. Um, and they can sense these things before other people do. And these things that they're sensing are, are, are causes of disease and, and, and uh, malaise for everyone eventually. It's just that these people can actually sense them before that and they can actually avoid exposure. So it's a strength, not a weakness. Um, and so what I'm, what my, my goal is to, uh, educate and empower people with the tools and knowledge they need to be, make better decisions about the air they breathe. Um, and we do that both through our, through, through the test kit um, at Got Mold, uh, as well as through education. In fact, you know, for for your listeners, um, we created a, a special welcome page, uh, which they can find at www.gotmold.com/itp. 
Um, and there you will find a link to our ebook uh, for free, as well as a coupon code there for uh, 10% off of uh, any, any of our test kits and refills. Oh, and I should also mention this. When you buy our kit and you get the pump, you can also, once you're done, you don't throw this away. Um, this is a piece of, of professional scientific equipment. This is a this is an air sampling device, and so we also sell refills, which allow you to to retest your air for less. So you can get one, two, and three room refills, and they're fifty dollars less. So we often have people buy these, and then they'll give them to their friends or their family, or or you know we have teachers that that test their school rooms, and we've got uh, you know people who are renting apartments that have a, a, a landlord that's not fixing the roof, and they'll pass it down the hall, and they'll all test, and then next thing you know, they've all got reports and they're like, Hey man, we got to do something about this, you know? So, so the, the, the tool is being used for some, some, some change, you know, um, which is really what we created this for, uh, to get people in motion so that money and, and, and fears about f finding qualified people does not impede them from being able to take control of their health. So in our, in our ebook, how to find mold, which is on your welcome page, um, as well as in the footer on the website, uh, there's, uh, it's a 46 pages or so. And a, a big chunk of that is inspection checklists. Um, and so, uh, if you take that book and you just go through that book with your, with a flashlight in one hand and the ebook in the other, and you go around your house or your apartment and you, and you follow that, the inspection checklist and you, you mark down the areas of concern that you identify. Uh, it allows you to score those, and then you simply test in those areas that score the highest. Um, what's also nice about that, if you follow that, um, follow the book, um, you're going to see things about your building that you never saw before. We never look behind things. We never move. Th we never peel the layers of the onion away in our buildings, right? That's what a professional inspector does. I mean, you know, I, I would, I go into houses for 20 years and, and, and I, and I know more about that person's house than they do. And they've been living there for, you know, generate a generation or longer. Um, and it's simply because I'm taking the time to look at all the details, taking, looking at all the, looking to see that trim is pulling away from the wall, you know, and, you know, like that carpet, pull the corner of the carpet away and you can see the rusty tack strips. Hmm. Why is it rusty? You know, you see a little bit of water, the little water bug, that one little water bug, major clue, you know, um, but these are things that are very easy to overlook when you're busy trying to pay the bills, you know, when you're busy chasing your kid around or you're, you know, stressed out about work or whatever, um, you know, you're not going to pay attention to that stuff. But our ebook allows you, if you take the time to give yourself a guided tour of the building. And if you do that, then you end up being able to see things you normally wouldn't see. You become more intimate with your building, which is something I encourage, you know, because again, you know, this, the building is an extension of your immune system. You should just like you check your body. If you've got moles, you do a regular mole check, you know, uh, or, you know, people who, you know, a lot of people don't even know if they've got a problem on their back, you know, cause they don't even take the time to look. So, you know, raising awareness around these things, not just with your body, but also your building, um, I think is a, just a fundamental part of being a responsible adult. Um, and so, you know, we, we, the, the, the ebook gives you that, the sort of the, the framework and the step-by-step -step way to be able to do that. And then the testing, you know, allows you to see the unseen, you know, allows you to, to, uh, to quantify, um, something that's, that's rather nebulous. Um, and then it gives you the, the motivation that you might need to be able to take action on it.
Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that once you see mold, it's actually usually already a pretty bad problem, right? If I'm not mistaken, most mold is invisible or at least invisible to the naked eye. And if you can see mold, it's usually already a pretty bad problem. Is that correct? Yeah, in most cases, and especially because a lot of the molds, that, um, the, the primary colonizers that I mentioned before, um, tend to be clear or colorless spores uh, mm-hmm. or they're very light colored. Um, and so, you know, you need a special, you need, you need to have the flashlight at a specific angle, usually like a, a, a kind of an oblique angle so that you, you can see the surface te- te- texture that's created by the colonization. So again, it comes down to being able to know that my, my, one of my mentors likes to say, there's no such thing as hidden mold if you know where to look. Um, but it's also not just where to look, it's how to look. Um, and so, uh, and, and it is true that, you know, you can have colonization that's not visible because you're dealing with a microscopic organism. By the time you can see colonies, you've got, you know, millions and millions of spores. Um, and so, uh, that are, they're just waiting to break free and become airborne. And so, uh, by the time you see it, you know, you, that's why the best, best indicator is the musty smell. You know, if you smell it, you probably got it. Then the key is to find out where the source of the moisture is. And that's the same thing with our test kit. The moment you have results that, that indicate that there's a problem, um, the first step is not remediation. (laughs) Um, the first step is, is identifying and diagnosing the cause of the moisture problem. And, and if that is beyond your scope of experience and capabilities, that's why you hire a professional. Uh, you don't need a professional to come in and grab a few air samples. That's what we fixed, you know. Um, and, but what you do need a professional for often mm-hmm. is to identify and diagnose the source of the moisture and then figure out what repairs need to be made. And then uh, to develop a scope of work, which the remediation contractor uh, will then follow. Um, and then to do the testing at the end to make sure that you've gotten what you pay for before you before you release the final funds. So sort of like a, a little bit of a um, safe, sort of a little um, check and balance, if you will. Um, but yeah, no no doubt about it. If you see if you see it, um, it's been there for a while, no doubt. Yeah, that that's kind of what I've gathered over the years of kind of digging into it a little bit as well. And I, uh, one last thing before we get off here, I do want to touch on, you said the third page of the test report is going to kind of tell people um, where to kind of find some inspectors or uh, remediators, like maybe buy them. Is that just like a website or is this like a team of people that you've found to trust over time? What exactly does that look like? Good question. Um, We're actually working on a national referral network. Um, and that would be, you know, a dynamic listing on our website where people would apply or contractors and inspectors would apply. Uh, and then they have to maintain their, um, their, their, their knowledge verification, uh, which they'd have to maintain on an annual basis. Um, and then they would be, you know, be able to list their insurance and trainings and, and all that stuff, kind of like a LinkedIn or home advisor for mold-related services on gotmold.com. So we're working on that. But the third page currently, the links take you to the trade associations. Cool. Which, which train these people and certify them. So uh, ACAC, which is um, the organization that, that uh, trains and certifies inspectors, uh, specifically the ones that we suggest people uh, look at are the certified in, in indoor environmentalists, um, beyond mold inspector. So mold inspector is pretty, pretty uh, um, 
pretty pedestrian, uh, the certified mold inspector. You really want someone who's got broader knowledge about the overall indoor environment. So, uh, so this is the organization that, that trains and certifies uh, those uh, those designations. And then the other organization um, that there's a link to is the IICRC, which is the International Institute of Cleaning and Restoration Contractors, and they are um, the group that is the standards um, governing body. Um, for the mold remediation and water damage industry standards. So they train the remediation contractors um, and the water damage mitigation contractors. And so the two standards that are relevant there are the IICRC S500, which is water damage, and the IICRC S520, which is mold remediation. Um, and so they're two diff very different organizations. Um, there's a lot of overlap between them, but uh, but those those are the those are the links that we uh, we contain that we uh, that we provide there. We don't endorse um, anyone. Um, uh, we don't have any financial relationships whatsoever with any contractors or inspectors. Uh, nor will we, quite frankly, even with with our referral network. That's just going to be they're going to pay for their listing. Um, but there's no endorsements or, or guarantees associated with it. It's a, just a free service that we'll put together um, for uh, for people to to be able to find uh, inspectors and remediators who agree with our philosophy. Because that's a big part of having them be on our network is that they agree to no conflicts of interest and they agree to a green clean with no chemicals and um, um, those kinds of things. Um, but that's that's probably about a year out at this point. Cool, awesome, and uh, I'm definitely going to want to have you back on. I actually we didn't even get to touch on like the whole renter's playbook, and I actually think that that could be like a whole episode in and of itself, anyways, because. Uh, the legal issues that you know and how to kind of navigate through those kind of thick waters when you're renting and all the nuances that go into that probably deserves at least an hour of its, of its own type of episode. Because that was like where we were at. We just broke our lease, threw away everything and started from scratch, which is very traumatic. And I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. Uh, that's just what we did. But uh, I would love to have you back on and we'll, you know, we'll wait a while, but we'll do, we'll go through all of that as well. But uh, before we jump off, why don't you tell everybody, you kind of already mentioned it quite a bit, but tell everybody the website once again, where they can find you on social media, contact you, anything like that. Sure thing. Sure thing. Um, once again, there's a, there's a welcome page for your listeners. I highly recommend they go there first. So go to gotmold.com slash ITP and there, there you'll find some free resources in the discount code in case you're interested in, um, in, in getting a kit. Um, and of course you can always go to gotmold.com. Um, and I highly encourage people to go to the learning center. Um, if the people want to get in touch with me and they've got specific questions, uh, you can go to the contact page at the contact section at the bottom of the homepage. And, uh, I don't answer all of the questions but I do see all of them that come through. Um, and so uh, we're, we pride ourselves in, uh, in, in pretty fast response times on those things. Um, alternatively, um, we have a, a, a decent and growing presence on Instagram and our handle is at gotmold. Uh, similarly with uh, Facebook also at gotmold. And uh, that's another great place to post questions. I usually have an ask me anything uh, post up there. Um, and so uh, people can just post questions there and then I'll often answer either directly there or uh, through like a, through an IG live. I'll sometimes just pop on and just rattle off, you know, answer a few things and tag people. Um, so, you know, we're, we're uh, like I said, we're, we, we're not just here to sell test kits. You know, I think, uh, you know, this is a very confusing subject. It's very difficult for people to navigate. There's a ton of misinformation out there. There's a lot of people that have stuff to sell that may or may not be uh, valid. 
Um, and so it's, um, uh, it's very, very difficult for the consumer to, uh, to navigate. And so, um, you know, so we try to create sort of a safe place for people to, to learn, um, and to, uh, and to be able to, to quantify this so that they can, you know, move through the world with a little more confidence and, and, um, and do the things they need to do to protect themselves and their, and their health. Um, so yeah, listen, this has been a, an absolute pleasure uh, being here. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that we were able to, to connect and, um, and, yeah, thank uh, you so much. Yeah, it's You're been really fast. So I definitely want to um, continue the conversation, you know, with the playbook, when you have new tests come out, anything that you want to promote, because I lived through it. And I think that you're one of the most knowledgeable people, knowledgeable people that I've come across as far as the mold space goes. So thank you so much for sharing the knowledge with us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Matt. It was a real, a real pleasure to be here. Awesome. Have a good day. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends.